Hello, and welcome to RCM Chat by AGS Health. Join us as we dive into the most pressing challenges facing revenue cycle leaders today. You will hear from industry veterans as they discuss the revenue cycle news, trends, and insights that can help you overcome your challenges and optimize your revenue cycle to keep cash flowing smoothly and your bottom line healthy. So sit back and let's rev up your revenue cycle. Hello and welcome to the RCM Chat Podcast brought to you by AGS Health. I'm your host, Michelle Dongmuni, and today we're talking about denial management. I have two great guests I'm about to bring on to talk about that topic today. We have Matthew Bridge, who is the Senior Vice President of Patient Access and AR Service Lines, and Erica Franco, who is Senior Vice President of Customer Success. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. Happy to be here. Happy to have you here. So before we get into it, can we have you give a brief background of what you do for the company and just kind of a few lines about your professional background? Erica, starting with you. Sure. Uh, so I joined AGS about 18 months ago. Um, my team and I actually cover all of our current clients um, from an account management perspective. Uh, I like to say that we're professional problem solvers. So we try to dig deep into what our clients actually need in order to be able to you know, continue on in their in their business. So I spent most of my career in consulting with Accenture, really focused on the patient access space and patient engagement and experience. Um, so I'm excited to bring that uh, that sort of bent to AGS Health. And you, Matt. Sure. So uh, Matt Bridge here, based out of Boston. I joined AGS recently, uh, just at the turn of the calendar year uh, in January. Uh, and so my role as SVP of, of Access and AR Service Lines is to really um, focus on our, our FY27 strategy, uh, while also being a subject matter expert. Um, in, in support of sales, operations, marketing, and other business units uh, specific to patient access and AR. Uh, my background, so I come from a professional services um, side, so worked at KPMG, helped develop their revenue cycle practice, and prior to that was at Huron Consulting Group out of Chicago. Perfect. So we are talking about denial management. So let's start off with this. Are denials trending up or down and any ideas why, depending on what your answer is for the first part of that question? Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go first, Eric, and obviously jump in here. So, yeah, I think it's quite clear and all the data proves that denials are increasing, um, you know, and, and it's it's been on an upward trajectory here for a number of years. I, I think there's been some recent publications that it's about a 25% increase uh, in the last five or six years. And that's um, also been... Um, We've seen increases since COVID as well, about 10 to 12% increase in denial since COVID started. Uh, I think there's a myriad of reasons as to why that's happening. Uh, but in general, with with volumes down across the board, elective procedures getting canceled, um, you know, we've seen payers really tighten their belts on, on what they're reimbursing um, and having more stringent requirements to achieve payment for our providers um, you know, in this post-COVID world. And I'll take maybe a, a little bit more of a cynical viewpoint on that, but I, I agree with Matt. And also, I think this is coming down to a case of misaligned incentives. So we have a for-profit payer whose best interest is to keep all of their premium dollars um, within the payer system in order to serve their shareholders. 
And then we have the not-for-profit health systems who are in the business of not only serving patients, but also making money in order to be able to serve those patients. And so uh, their best interest and in, in also with working with AGS is to get reimbursed for those services. So, you know, I think we have sort of a misaligned incentive model here, uh, which is, you know, really kind of germane to the U.S. healthcare system. But something I think that, as Matt mentioned, over COVID and some of the factors there have exacerbated that to to the point where we are today. Yeah, yeah. The payers will will um, will make their margins no matter what, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and they'll get creative, and they they can't admit right. that, but that is um, that is the reality today. And that just puts the burden back on the provider. Um, and it's a very laborious process to to check all those boxes to achieve reimbursement. Uh, and that's an area where we can come in and help um, either provide technology technology solutions. Um, or individuals offshore that can help support those operations. So we've established that there definitely is an increase that we're seeing in denials. Let me ask you this. What are the more common causes, would you say, for denials that you've encountered? Sure. Um, I think, you know, metrics vary, but around 50% of all denials are are um, from the patient access or financial clearance function, Right. And that percentage has held steady for for a long time now. It hasn't fluctuated much with the increase in overall denial volumes post-COVID, um, but a lot of it points to that that front end. And, and at the end of the day, if we're not financially securing or clearing those patients prior to service, that puts the overall reimbursement at, at tremendous risk, right? So there are different denial types and there are abilities to overturn some more easily than others. Uh, but those front end, those financial clearance related denials, right? Insurance verification, authorization, those are much harder to to overturn um, if those aren't uh, cleared up front. So that's an area where we see about 50% or, or the majority of denials stemming from those upstream access functions. Yeah. And Matt, I'm not sure if you would agree with us or not. I'd be interested to hear it. But, you know, I think that patient access in particular or financial clearance, I think, is relatively new in revenue cycle in terms of area of focus. I think we've spent a lot of time on things like scheduling, spent a lot of time on coding, on AR services, but things like authorizations, I think a couple of factors go into that. Um, one, the rules are changing all the time. And yep. so, you know, I, I there are several organizations today who have technology on that side. When we dig a little bit deeper into what that technology is, it often has a group of people in the background who are scouring payer websites, who are scouring, you know, governmental websites to actually figure out what are the rules around authorizations, because like I mentioned earlier, they can change on the dime. And so those are being fed into technology systems that hopefully are helping people who are sitting in an office actually process those denials. But I think, you know, we we spend a ton of time on things like minimum required data sets, things like that around, you know, the registration of patients. But now I think that, that we're finding that there are some more complex areas like authorizations that are really driving a lot of these. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And I, I think to further that point, you know, as the care delivery models evolve over time, right, we're seeing a lot more telehealth offerings. That was a, a byproduct of covid um, as care models shift into the home away from those, you know, large brick and mortar um, right. provider settings, right? I don't want to say it gives payers a, a creative avenue to 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 um, deny claims, but I think it adds a layer of complexity um, and the rules and regulations change on what's required to secure that account for reimbursement. And I think that's been another factor. 
um, in this in this journey uh, related yeah. to financial clearance. And I think, you know, on top of that, I think we're seeing different um, sort of folks who are providing care, cer certainly more NPPs and other non-physician practitioners who are actually providing care to patients, which I think adds another layer to that as well. As we look at things like phys physician shortages and in particular in sort of rural settings and that sort of thing. And really the the burden on the healthcare system to take care of patients who had COVID or related morbidities, um, things like that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, spurred another thought, Erica, that's a great point. You know, as as retail healthcare picks up more and more, right, we're seeing, um, you know, services being provided out of local pharmacies, CVS, Walgreens, what have you, right? They don't typically have the revenue cycle infrastructure that we would see with a large ambulatory physician practice or an acute facility, right? So they don't have the technology, the standard operating procedures or the people to secure reimbursement. So, you know, a lot of times those new provider types um, will sort of either assume wrongly that, you know, they provide care, it gets paid like every other service in the country, right? Outside of healthcare, um, or that's the cost of doing business and they don't have the time or, or energy to staff up to, to protect their reimbursement. Um, and so it's the cost of doing business yeah. and if they get paid on it, great, but if they don't, you know, so be it as they kind of, you know, enter into the market. So I think as we see that retail yeah. healthcare are in pickup as well. Um, that's another factor in, in the denial increases. And I, I, I think not to go down a total tangent here, but I think the interesting part about sort of the emerging sort of retail space is that most of the organizations who got into the retail space expected it to be paid like retail. So it's a cash transaction, higher levels of transparency around, you know, a, a quick emergency visit is $100 or $120 or something like that. But we're also seeing from patients, you know, I think we've in, in some sense trained our patients or consumers to expect reimbursement coming from their insurance, generally that's employer sponsored that they pay into every, you know, paycheck. So, you know, I think there are a lot of factors around that, but we're, we're definitely seeing sort of a, you know, I think we sort of vacillate depending on the, the time frame just to return to that kind of traditional model of of fee for service. So I, I find that to be interesting over time because I think we go back and forth between value-based care and fee for service. But I think certainly we're we're kind of edging back towards solidly fee for service with dappling in value-based care. Yep. So we're really talking about two problems that organizations are facing. First dealing with the existing denials and then second preventing them from happening in the future. So let's start off with the first problem of dealing with those existing denials. And we've heard from both of you laborious to kind of work through that. So what suggestions do you have for organizations struggling with what's become an overwhelming number of denials? I, I think one of the interesting things I've been seeing sort of from, you know, the, the market today is that some organizations are in, no pun intended here, denial um, of of their denial issues. I think that so many of them have this sort of mindset of, and in particular, sort of the, maybe the smaller health systems, if you will, that, you know, we'll, we'll deal with this on the back end. So if something's denied, we can obviously appeal it and have it overturned. Um, and I think that's largely due to resource constraints. So actually understanding the root cause of denials requires some subject matter expertise, but certainly data. Um, to be able to uncover where those denials are coming from. And then certainly sort of the political capital, if you will, or the control over systems and processes 
that allow you to go upstream and make corrections. And so sometimes when we see sort of institutions or organizations that are fragmented where there's a different leader over sort of the patient access side, or maybe the patient access side currently sits with an individual department, that ability to make sort of influential changes across the revenue cycle becomes limited. And so the realization of, okay, we'll have to wait until something denies to appeal it, um, you know, I think is something that a lot of organizations are coming to today, which is really unfortunate because, you know, there is, you know, a huge cost burden to actually appealing those denials, whether you do an offshore outsourced or even have your own organization, um, organizational teams that are addressing denials. There's a big cost to that, not just in labor, but also to your, your overall financial sort of health. Um, so we're seeing things like, you know, delayed reimbursement, your AR days go up. Um, you know, you may get reimbursed eventually. It could be at a lower rate, things like that. Yeah. And I think the, the, what's important to either resolve your open denials and, or to, to prevent them going forward is to understand what's being denied today, right? About 50 to 66% of providers don't even know their denial rate, which is a, a scary, you know, metric right there. Um, so first and foremost, they need to capture and understand what's denying today, right? Um, in terms of resolving denials, to answer that that first part of the question, it really re requires alignment between your your operating procedures, your technology, right, um, and and having the right complementary resource strategy to work those denials in a timely manner, right? We can't get a denial today and not work it for six months, right? We have to have the technology that brings it back for review immediately today. Uh, as things deny, the clock starts again, and you have a finite time to appeal that claim. Otherwise, it's dead and you're writing it off, right? So part of it's having that technology. You need to have robust standard operating procedures, um, predefined appeal templates tailored to the denial reason tailored to the payer and what they need to overturn the denial. And you need to have appropriate training um, of your staff. I think outside of the workflows, there's also the managed care piece and holding your payers accountable to what they're denying, right? So again, quantifying what's being denied, comparing that to um, rules and regulations for your managed care contract, um, and holding your payers accountable for large denial trends is, is a critical component while your staff or while your outsource vendor works those individual denials to overturn, right? And I think those are the critical components of, of staying on top of your denials once they occur. Um, but as Erica mentioned, it is labor intensive, or maybe Michelle, you mentioned that. And so a lot of our, our clients just don't have the, 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 the manpower, the people power, if you will, um, to work those, those, um, those denials as they occur, right? So denials are going up, staffing levels are going down. It creates this, this black hole where they just can't keep up with it. Um, and so oftentimes it does require a complementary uh, vendor strategy um, just to keep up with the daily churn of denials as they occur. So great information with regard to how to handle those existing denials. But let's go to the second part, which, you know, let's try to avoid having the denials in the first place. So how do organizations prevent denials from even happening. Yeah, I, I think we touched on that a little bit earlier, but I think to dive a little bit deeper, I think sort of step one is is really understanding your revenue cycle and sort of how it's situated within the organization. And and that seems um, 
you know, I think like motherhood and apple pie, right? So understanding your revenue cycle, but so often in particular, you know, this is, this is not unique to like a small healthcare system. It's kind of across the board. Um, and in particular, we see it quite a bit in large healthcare systems where we have such a fragmented revenue cycle that sometimes, you know, as Matt mentioned earlier, if 50% of our denials are really coming from a financial clearance type function, which generally happens on the front end, um, and we actually don't have control from a revenue cycle perspective over those workflows in the front end, um, then we're kind of set up in the beginning to have challenges. So, you know, I, I've seen things like denials councils that are set up, right? So when we understand where the work is actually happening, we're able to set up councils that say, okay, these are our standard processes. Here's a minimum required data set. Here's how we're handling authorizations. If today it's happening in the practice, and I see this so often where um, someone's scheduler is actually responsible for obtaining authorizations, which we find in particular here at AGS that it's a specialized function, um, somewhat because all of the rules, as we mentioned earlier, are changing, um, but you actually have to have a good understanding of how to use the tools and technology and workflows to actually work through the denial, or excuse me, the authorizations. So, you know, having a denials council, for example, set up where we're able to bridge some of the gaps that we might have in operating model um, becomes even more essential. But I, I think step one to all of this is really understanding where your denials are coming from and how to set up a task force in order to tackle those. And we can give some general directions, sort of, you know, you're either really looking at some of the financial clearance functions, you're looking at coding denials. Those are generally, I think, I don't know, Matt, your take on this, but that encompasses probably 75 to 80% of all denials are coming from one of those functions. Um, you know, you can kind of get a sense of it, but I think it, it requires a deeper dive and certainly um, more understanding of the analytics that are coming from it, but also sort of your overall process flow. Yeah. Yeah, and completely agree, right? Quantifying the issues are, is the first step, right? Whether it's through analytics, whether it's through trend identification from folks working the denials, right, that are on the front lines every day, seeing what Blue Cross is denying or Aetna or, or Medicaid, right? They will in themselves find trends to support those broader analytics. Um, and then to, to Erica's point, it does require that counselor task force with stakeholders across the revenue cycle. Uh, the unfortunate answer that no one wants to hear is it is very time consuming to really identify the true root cause of a, of a denial. It often requires account level sampling, which is the last thing our providers and clients want to do or have the time to do. Um, but that is critical to really understand what is causing those denials so we can then develop ways to, to remedy them and prevent them from happening, whether it's a process change, whether it's a technology change, a change in scope for an individual who might need to focus more in this area than that area, um, or again, holding payers accountable uh, for, for denying inappropriately uh, where they should be reimbursing. Uh, so I think those are some of the, the key um, components there. And, and a lot of times it just comes down to capacity constraints, right? If you think about a clinical or a case management unit or a utilization review unit that have nurses who are really focused on the patient care at that point in time, uh, the last thing they have time to do in their day, and they'll tell you this, is to then rework a denial that's come through and provide the necessary clinical information to convey that what was done meets a level of care or, or, or a medical necessity threshold. So 
again, a lot of times our clients are looking for for outsource solutions to help overturn those um, and ideally prevent or identify the, the underlying root causes to prevent them from happening in the first place. Any final thoughts as we're wrapping up here? I think I just want to underscore that some of the discovery piece of denials management is probably one of the most important. Um, and I think that that's the one that I think is is usually the hardest to come by for a variety of different reasons, but mostly because I think people are looking at sort of process first instead of outcome first. So I think starting there and really kind of digging into what do we know about our organization? How are we aligned in terms of operating model for revenue cycle, I think becomes really a, a critical piece of this. I think some of it's thinking like a consultant. So how do I dive in and do a discovery before I jump in and throw interventions or most typically throw technology at it. You know, I, I've seen that sort of all the time. Um, we used to call it sort of like sparkly syndrome. So this technology looks really sort of nice and sparkly and exciting. But if you really don't understand your process, your basic operating model, the technology is really not going to to do anything for you in the beginning. So some of it's just gathering that knowledge and, and sort of thinking as a consulting group would, which would be how do I discover what my organization looks like, how we're aligned, and then using the data to sort of guide some of these interventions. Yeah, I think final thought for me is is really, look, denials are not going anywhere. Uh, they will probably continue to increase, right? Um, so I think it's critical that organizations understand that and invest the appropriate resources to to overturn and prevent them, right? And it starts with quantifying the issue but also quantifying the ROI, right? I mean, this is there is true financial ROI with preventing denials and with overturning them timely, right? Um, otherwise, you do lead to, to net revenue leakage or loss. Um, so it's not just quantifying what's happening today, um, but quantifying the, the small investment it would take to prevent and overturn these timely and what that would mean for, for operating margins going forward. So you know, I think that's a critical component um, to garner stakeholder buy-in um, to make those necessary investments to to handle the, this this unfortunate problem. We covered a lot of territory here and hopefully a lot of questions answered. If people have more questions or they want to learn more, what's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I think reach out to, to AGS Health, right? Um, we're always available and we want to help our providers, right? So um, a very robust website uh, with contact information on there. Um, could certainly contact me or Erica directly and we can get you in touch with the right individuals. So I um, would encourage folks to to check in on uh, or connect with us on LinkedIn or, or take a look at the website um, and see how we can help you today. Perfect. Matthew Bridge, Senior Vice President of Patient Access and AR Service Lines for AGS Health and Erica Franco, Senior Vice President, Customer Success for AGS Health. Thank you both for joining me today and lending your time to this topic as we heard it's not going to go anywhere anytime soon. So uh, important that we get that information out there in this conversation. We'll hopefully keep going. People can go visit the website. So thank you for being here today. Excellent. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. Happy to be here. And thank you for joining us and listening or viewing the RCM chat brought to you by AGS Health. Of course, you can go to agshealth.com for more information, talking about denial management, much more about that and more on the website there. So Please subscribe to the podcast if you'd like to hear more episodes like this. And until then, I want to remind you to keep revving up those revenue cycles. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Moody. Hope to see you soon.